Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Take your Bibles, please. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we are in a series about our life in Christ. Christ is our life is the title of the series. And today we're going to notice as Christ begins choosing his disciples, Jesus calling his disciples that would minister with him through his uh, earthly ministry. By the way, if you'd like to be a blessing to those that you meet during this season, we have tracks available with a Thanksgiving theme. Stop by our Gospel Resource Center track rack there and pick some of those up, and I know you could be a blessing to those who serve on you, or maybe just serve you and then others who are you meeting in your neighborhood this time of year with a thankful spirit, a reminder to think about Christ who makes life worth living. And so those tracks are available. Father, we commend our time to you in the Word this morning. So grateful for how you have drawn us to yourself. Uh, Brother Starr reminded us of that. That's a work of God. And then in our hearts, we responded by faith and we're thankful for the work of grace in our hearts. It's not of us, but of you. And we're grateful this morning as we look at the theme of discipleship. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Help us to draw ever nearer to you and then be inviting others to come to you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the theme this morning is discipleship. Let's begin reading verse 35 of our text. John chapter 1 and verse 35 says, Again the next day after John stood and declared to those he was preaching to, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Earlier in the chapter we see him declaring that. And looking upon Jesus again as he's still in the area and walked, he said it again, Behold the Lamb of God. We see in our text this morning that Jesus will begin to call to himself a small group of men. Eventually, he would call 12 men to walk with him in a very special sense. These are, are men that will follow him very closely. You might say that uh, as Jesus ministered during his earthly ministry, he had many opportunities to influence great masses of people, great crowds of people. Many of them followed him because of the miracles that he, he did. But he will, his enduring work will really be with these 12 men. You might say, well, pastor, what is a disciple? Am I a disciple? Are you a disciple? What is a disciple? Well, basically, I think a disciple is one who knows Christ well and makes him well known. Let me repeat that. One who knows Christ well and makes Christ well known. It is a follower, someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. I think it's someone who not only loves the Lord and is attracted to the Lord in salvation, gets saved, but he wants other people to be a part of that as well. I wonder, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most hands, I'm sure, would go up. But I wonder this morning if there has been in your life ever a disciple. You say, well, what do you mean, of me? Well, through you, of Jesus Christ. Have you brought anybody to himself, really the story, the narrative this morning is about those who were drawn to Christ and brought to Christ. And the disciple is a learner. 
And then he's also an influencer, and we're introduced to the greatest disciple maker ever, Jesus. So let's see in our text this morning how he did that. Of course, he drew great crowds to himself, but Mark in his gospel reminds us at the beginning of the inception of his ministry. Uh, The Lord tells us in chapter 3 that he called to himself those who he would, and they came to him, and he ordained the twelve, now listen to this, he ordained the twelve, the disciples, that they should be with him, and that he might send them out to preach or declare. So the disciple is a two-sided coin, that you might be with Christ, and that you would be sent out to tell others about him. Can you think of any of the names of the 12 disciples? I'm sure you could, and we wouldn't have the same order, I'm sure, but there was Simon Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Simon, and then Judas. They all lived at a time, really, when when the word disciple meant personal nearness. To be a disciple of a master or a rabbi, a teacher in Jesus' day, would be to have proximity to that person, to be a follower, not just on the internet or the television, but to be a personal student and follower of a a master or teacher, to to live near enough to someone uh, that they, you understand that someone, you're drawn to them as a learner. And then you think about the ordained 12. He ordained that they should be with him and that he might send them out to declare the goodness of the kingdom. Paul puts it this way to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. The things which you have heard from me among many witnesses do what? The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to do what? Teach others also. Well, I was on the phone with Ethan a little bit this uh, past week, and finally he's made his pilgrimage, (laughs) his long journey in his Toyota Tacoma. This is not an advertisement for Toyotas, but uh, his long journey across the country from uh, Hampton all the way to Salt Lake City, where his goal is to help a church. So pray about an open door for ministry there. But he... uh, he along the way called me and said, Dad, guess what? I stopped at, at your mom's house. Not really. She's in a nursing home. I had a great time, to, and I didn't know he was going to do this, really. And so he stopped, and, um, he, he stopped and, and talked to my mother, who's still alive in her mid-90s. And here's what I began to think about as he shared the story of just, just spending some time with my mother. Her name is Donna, and uh, what a blessing they had together. Of course, when you're talking to somebody a little older, you got to speak up a little bit so they can hear you. But they had a great conversation. They began to think and talk about what I call the ripple effect or the generational effect of discipleship. I just finished asking you, do you have a disciple? Well, my mother Donna was impressed, of course, by uh, the faith that she saw first in her mother um, my great-grandmother years ago, uh, my, her mother, my, my grandmother, her name is Mary. She lived through the Depression in Oklahoma. They traveled the dusty 30s just trying to get work anywhere. But 
My mother Donna speaks of her mother Mary and how there was a great influence spiritually. When they had very little next to nothing, they shared whatever they could find to eat with their neighbors in that dusty time in the, of course, in the Midwest and in the southern states. And she shared that during that time, the Lord just impressed upon her heart through her own mother's testimony in a very difficult season of life, how precious the Spirit of God was to her, and it so impressed my mother that she went first generation to Bible college and there met my, uh, my father, whose name was Bill. Bill's at home. Bill's at home. He's in, in glory right now, but uh, there they joined together. And, and I'll tell you, getting back to the story of disciple, the ripple effect, it was in college that these two Oklahoma kids fell in love, and, and Dad decided to leave the Oklahoma farms to go to Brazil, of all places. And, and he had heard about five missionaries that were martyred along the banks of the rivers there in Ecuador, and it so impressed him that he said, I'm just going to leave it all. I'm going to leave all my tractors. <laughs> it didn't have a lot from Enid, near Enid, Oklahoma. He said, I'm going to leave all that, that rich black farm ground and in Oklahoma. He said, I'm going to leave it all, and I'm going to go pursue souls. Well, his daddy, my grandfather, uh, on my father's side, was a preacher from way back in Germany. He came over, and he spoke in two languages, English and German, to a church, just a little country church. And so dad was a second-generational preacher. And then in their home, uh, mom and dad's home, I grew up and just all I knew was Brazil because I knew that they loved people enough to make that trip. And at first it was a two-week trip by boat, and I've mentioned that, to get to Brazil. And so I grew up in that kind of environment, that gospel-telling environment. And now Ethan praying about what God would have him do in terms of church ministry. And I got to thinking about the fact that all of us, our disciple makers, whether you know it or not, you are influencing a generation to come. It's right off, Neil. You are being influenced by your parents who are influenced by their parents. And perhaps the influence that you have left on your family, or you think, you, I grew up in a terrible home. You know, there's positive and there's also negative influences, aren't there, on our lives. All of us are influencing in some way. But I'm thankful for the fact that uh, we can be disciples in a good way. And it was really the songs of this lady here that you see on the slide behind me that influenced me that Christ is real, that there's joy in serving Jesus. And later in life, I too committed myself to the ministry, the gospel-telling ministry. Well, today we're going to look at six principles of discipleship. So buckle up. We're going to go fairly quickly. The first is, uh, and we're going to kind of follow a progression. We're going to add word to word here. The first uh, thing I see in, a, in this particular text about disciple making is this. The one word that reset at least these disciples, these two disciples, John and Andrew primarily were following John the Baptist. And John the Baptist and they are, are standing together, verse 35, and, of course, he's already proclaimed that Jesus, who I've been bragging on and pointing to, he's in the neighborhood. They had seen the baptism earlier of the Christ, and now he's still in the area, perhaps uh, just mingling with the crowd. And John points in verse 35 again, 
and reminds these two followers of him that they ought to follow Christ. He says, behold the Lamb. What do they do? Verse 36, and looking on Jesus as he walked, he said, John the Baptist said, look, there's the Lamb of God. And the two disciples that had been following him heard him speak. And what did they do? They followed Jesus. Isn't that great? When the sun rises, you put the candles away. And John said, my job was just to point people to Jesus. That's your job too. It's not to create a little fan club of yourself, a popularity. It's not. John would say, he must increase and I must what? Decrease. I'm pointing people to Christ. I'm pointing people to God. And there are certain, I think, televangelists would like to just believe that they are the end, right? They are the pond to which all streams flow. No, John had it right. He says, I'm just one who, who prepares the way and points people to Christ, and there he is, Jesus is among us. And so, first of all, I want you to know that there is one word uh, that really is reflective in this. The Word of God, John spoke of that, first verse of chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The summation of all truth resides in the person who is the source of all truth, Jesus Christ, and this capital W Word is now among us. He was once in the presence, of course, God Himself, face to face with God because He was God, He was with God, and now we see the end of chapter 1, verse 1, and the Word was God. Essential sameness of who Christ is. All things made by Him, and He is life, and He is here. And so no wonder John the Baptist points at Jesus and says to his disciples, listen, I've been telling you about Him, but there He is, Jesus, the anointed Christ, the Messiah, has finally arrived, the one that all the prophets have pointed to. He says to His own disciples, I am not the Christ. He says to the Pharisees, I am not the Christ, but there He is. So they who were disciples of John now reset their direction and attached themselves to Jesus. Little wonder uh, that when the two disciples who had been longing for Christ heard of Him, saw Him, left John's ranks and become disciples of Jesus. They reset the direction and attached themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And John said, I'm just a small voice crying out in the wilderness, follow Jesus there he is. I, I think of how often we get, I get stars in my eyes when you hear somebody preaching or you say, well, I just, I'm going to follow him everywhere. Um, a man by the name, uh, a great Bible teacher, Howard Hendricks, I've told you this story perhaps, but he was teaching and preaching in his heyday, a great Bible teacher, professor at Dallas Seminary in the good old days. And Howard Hendricks was having a seminar, Bible conference, and this couple drove all the way across the country to hear Howard Hendricks, and he came up up there. They were just literally glowing. And they said, we love, we just simply love the way you teach, the way you preach, and we would follow you anywhere. He says, and Howard Hendricks, he had a sense of humor. He says, boy, you could save a lot of money. And he said, you don't have to follow me all over. He simply held up his Bible. And he said, behold, there he is. <laughs> there it is. Follow it. Follow him. The revelation from God. It's okay to have favorite preachers and listen to 
great gospel proclaimers. But follow Christ. In fact, let me just give you a heads up. When you study the Bible, it's not just, maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you're a preacher. Uh, when you study the Bible, it's not just about digging out principles. Sometimes I feel like that, a, a, a sermon factory. When we go to Africa, there's just be multiple opportunities for sermons to be preached, and, and we're just always digging. Don't do that primarily. It's okay, but you want to go to this book and say, show me Jesus. It's a book about him. John the Baptist says, there he is, it's the Christ. Uh, follow him. The two words that define, secondly, the two words that define discipleship are found a couple places in our text, but let's look at verse 43. We'll jump around to just a tad. Verse 43, the following day, Jesus would go forth to Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said unto him, here they're defining two words. We're going to add each point. We'll add another a numeric value, perhaps, the one word is, is Jesus. The two words that define true discipleship are simply this, follow me. Uh, that's really it, follow me. Verse 43, he found Philip, and then he said, Philip, just like he said to the disciples earlier in chapter 4 of Matthew when he called some of the fishermen to himself, follow me and I will make you become fishers. Just follow me. He didn't have a long, um, he said, just give me your resume, tell me where you've been, how much you, what's your skill, what's your background experience. No, he just threw out those two words, Philip, Andrew, John, James, let me simplify it for you this morning. If you're going to be a disciple, you must simply what? Learn to follow me. It's not as easy as it sounds. We want Christ to follow us and to bless us and our plans and vision, don't we? Just two words. Your proximity to Christ is the definition of your discipleship. How much distant space is there between you and Jesus? In Luke 6.46, we read, of course, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? All of us would like to wear the badge disciple today, but would we be honest enough to say there's a great distance, a space between me and the Lord? First duty of discipleship is followship. Do you think like, act like, love like, serve like, suffer like, rejoice like, walk like, talk like the lovely Lord Jesus? Can you follow orders? We want Jesus to be our servant, our follower, to applaud our plans, to bless our food, our family, bring us health and wealth, to turn His face away when we sin on Monday and come running back when we sit in church on Sunday. Make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know that's not following at all. That's turning Jesus into your Slave, your convenience factor. Well, I just want God to swoop down and help me when I'm in crisis and then move on out. When I want to live the way I want to live, that's not being a disciple. Follow 
the two words that define true discipleship. Simply follow me. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed. Three words next, three words that define true discipleship uh, are these, or excuse me, that reveal true discipleship. Verse 38, let's look at that verse backing up in the text a bit. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he saith unto them, What seek ye? Would you hold your place right here and go one page over? At least in my Bible, it's one page. Chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. Or we could even back up to verse 23. He was in Jerusalem at the Passover, the casting out, of course, of all the money changers. And many those days that he was there on his first trip, first year of ministry, believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. Why? He knew they weren't true followers. This is a good sermon to evaluate your own faith. He knew what was in all men. He knows your heart, verse 25, and he needed and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in them. Now back to the text. He turns to, he senses that, are, that there are two following him, and that these are true. He knows what's in our hearts. He knew that these were true disciples, that at least wannabe disciples, that longed for the truth, wanted to be where he was, to be with him. And he sensed that in their hearts, but he's always qualifying us. And he turns, he always is asking those who would be disciples, why are you coming after me? What do you want from me? The great question this morning, what seek ye? Well, they said, Rabbi, Master, where do you dwell? Where do you live? This is a great indicator. I'm willing to follow you. Beyond the loaves and fishes, I'm, I'm willing to follow you beyond the, beyond the miracles, and I want to go to where you live. Disciples, as I mentioned earlier, lived at that time with the Master pretty close to that. There was the connection of relationship. Why are you following? I, I won't commit myself to the uncommitted. And Jesus, knowing that He's being followed by John and Andrew, who are more than sign seekers or miracle mongers, he qualifies, why are you seeking? What do you want? I'm not just a magic wand, you know. Far from that. When you're in trouble, I'm not just there to fulfill your dreams. I'm not a religious good feeling. And when you get a moral teaching that kind of makes the hair stand up on the back of your head, you say, I like that. I'm not, I'm not, I must be Lord of all you would follow me. It's one of these all-in. Pastor Lee uh, was telling us about this this morning in Sunday school. My charge to all of us this morning, if you're not connected to a good Sunday school class, get connected. More learning makes a closer disciple. He was reminding us that when the the Lord was followed by a crowd, he would say in Luke chapter 9, if any man will come after me, Let him deny himself. Take up his what? His cross, the symbol of death to everything that you had dreamed about, the selfish life. Take up your cross and follow me daily. No, Lord, I just, 
I just want you for this moment. I just want you for the crisis. I just want... No. God knows our hearts. So at the start of His recruiting disciples, He asked the question, why? Why are you following me? What seek ye? And it's uh, according to the Scripture here, uh, as we read through, uh, it was about, the verse 39, the tenth hour. If you follow the Roman time, that would be 10 a.m. Hebrew time, about 4 p.m. And they respond with a heart full of devotion when Jesus says, what do you seek? It's you. We want. And when the invitation is given, they take off like lightning bolts (laughs) and they run to grab their their family members, their brothers, and say, we found him. Let's, let's, let's get over there. Ironside said this, the four o'clock meeting so radically changed these new men or these men that they never returned fully to the occupation, the only occupation they really knew, fishing. And they left their nets on the beach and followed him. Come and see, the Lord said. If you want to see where I live, verse 39, where I come and follow me. Birds have nests, foxes have their dens. But my goal is to please my Father, to be a sacrifice for sin. I'm the Lamb of God. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. And each one of these men were attracting others to Christ. Number four, four words that removed their doubts in discipleship. Four words that removed their doubts in discipleship. You see it in verse 48. Lord, of course, the the text here deals with how different folks came to Christ. Most were brought by friends or relatives. The Lord found, of course, Philip and, uh, and Nathaniel, excuse me, and there's this exchange between the Lord and Nathanael. Jesus, verse 47, saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, this is even before they meet, behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. The Lord isn't saying here's a sinless one, but here's one who's in his heart is committed to truth. There's a, there's a hunger in his heart for reality, for truth. There's a drive in his soul, a longing for God, for hope from sin. Here is one that truly is sincere. That's really a thing that shocked Nathaniel. Verse 48, Nathaniel saith unto him, Whence, and the King James is four words. I need to sample with four words because I'm following uh, progress here. Nathaniel said to him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? It's one thing to be assured that God is who He is. That's one side of the coin. But it's a wonderful assurance to know that God not only is God, He knows everything about me. Nathaniel may have had some doubts in his life about who is this rabbi? Who is this teacher? How do you say that he's God? (laughs) Well, Nathaniel's about to meet someone who can see him inside and out. When you meet the Lord, you understand, and as you read the Word, this God knows me. He knows his name. 
Nathanael said unto him, How do you know me? Verse 48, Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when you were under the fig tree, you know that one in your backyard? (laughs) Philip, or wherever it was, the Lord saw him without being there, as he sees us today. I saw thee. In fact, the Lord has seen Nathanael from eternity past. He's loved him with an everlasting love, just like he loves you. Nathanael answered and said unto him, This removes all doubt, Master, Teacher. You must be the Son of God, because where I was standing there, no one knew, especially you. You weren't around, and no one knew where I was and the thoughts of my heart that I needed, I needed truth, I needed a Savior. No one saw me, no one knew me, and certainly no one understood my thoughts. And here you are standing in front of me, telling me everything that's going on in my heart. You must be the Son of God. I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you should have said four words. should have been something, something like, we have found the Messiah. Well, I must profess there are many who are false Christ, both then and now so-called anointed ones, but no one except Christ knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. Many claim to be God. Many claim to do great things. But Nathaniel is now beyond a shadow of a doubt assured that this is the one. <clears throat> Nathaniel, I know your character. You seek the truth. There's no guile in you. Your heart desires the truth, like the Ethiopian eunuch. You want to know God, and here I am. And I know your name, and I've loved you forever. I saw you under the fig tree. I've seen you always. I've loved you greatly, and I've come to save you. Who else can see from a distance? Who else knows my heart? So this brought real assurance to him. Number five is a great, another great assurance. How do we know the test of true discipleship? Well, it's a great phrase here. Number five is this, five words that inspire true discipleship. We see as he responds to Nathanael in verse 50, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said to thee, unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Oh, Nathanael, 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 thou shalt see what? Greater things than these. And he goes on to say, recalling, of course, Jacob's ladder, and he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see the heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. There will be a, a sense where the scales will be lifted off your eyes. Spiritually, you will see things you've never seen before. In the, in the age of the apostles, of course, this was true, and Nathaniel was given a special insight, we believe, into just seeing the other verifications about who God was, Christ was in the flesh, God in the flesh. 
It says, you're going to see amazing things. You are going to see, follow me. There's going to be adventure to this discipleship thing. As you follow me as a true disciple, as you love, you're going to see all kinds of, you're going to see me touch blind eyes and they're going to open up. You're going to see the spiritual realities that I am indeed am the Son of God. You're going to see me touch lame feet and they're going to get up and jump. You're going to see me walk on water. You're going to see me turn water into wine. You're going to see me do all kinds of amazing things. And when it's all over, you will be rewarded in a place called heaven where there is an eternal glory unparalleled, so amazing that you'll never, ever, ever be able to describe it. John is the one who's the last writer in the Bible that tries to describe heaven. He's given this insight about heaven. He gives us a postcard from heaven. Here he's already, Nathaniel is already being, being told by, by the Lord that there is going to be, you're going to see things and enjoy things that you've never, you talk about an inspiration. Sometimes we say, oh, to follow Christ, that must be the roughest thing in the world. Get you a big old box of Kleenex and get ready to get scarred up. It's true. <laughs> I just want to. Encourage your heart. It's going to be. It's it's tough to follow Christ now, but one second into glory, one second after you cross uh, that glorious divide from this as a believer to the next, you're going to say it was worth it all. And Nathaniel, I want you to know that just because you heard me declare, I know your thoughts and saw you under the. You think that's amazing? Hold on. Dear Christian, we're in for a, a wonderful, wonderful journey with Christ. To see with spiritual eyes the true realities, not just of angels arising and descending, but the truth of the glorious future we have. They had a little snapshot of it, the Mount of Transfiguration, all the glories, the blessings of being a true disciple. Then finally... There is uh, one more thought here, six words I think that we need to see, six words that display true. Are you a disciple? Well, pastor, I'm not sure. Uh, the checklist here, uh, you know, I know he's Christ, and I've, I try to follow him. I, I've been down this, and I think I'm seeking him for the right reasons. I know that he knows me, knows me well. But here is the test, really, the display of true discipleship. We see it in verse 42. It's really the first six words of this verse. John chapter 1, verse 42, if you're following along in your Bible, says this, And he brought him, Andrew, brought Peter to Jesus. Now what had Andrew said to his brother? On his way to the house where Jesus was, he stops by because he's committed already to being a true disciple. He first found his own brother, Simon, and there's got to be great exclamation of joy. We have found the Messiah, the anointed one that's been prophesied. It's a Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew runs back home and says, Simon, you have to meet him. This is him. This is he. This is, this is Christ. He's in our area. 
Jesus, God is here. And Simon, I'm gonna, I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was on the beach working on his nets. Or, he says, you have got to, find, you have got to come, come. I'm not going to let you do another thing until you come with me and meet this man. It's God. This is the Messiah. Peter comes, of course, we know that, becomes one of the, the inner circle of the disciples. He says, I, I want you. I want you to meet him. So a disciple is one who not only follows, abides, learns from, reflects the goodness of his master, his teacher. He is one who is always bringing folks to Jesus. Are you doing that? Are you thrilled with your master enough to tell someone about it? I want to ask a question. How many of you were led to the Lord by a brother or sister? Raise your hand. You were led by, by a brother or sister. I see a, a couple hands out there. I remember when my, my brother, Lyle, got to the age of accountability. And I don't know if I, had, I was the same track as the Lord on what that age is. But I remember just being the advantage. I, I said, Lyle, we were eating breakfast, eating, you know, Cheerios. And in our family, all the boys, all, you know, all, we had this rule that you can only eat one bowl of cereal, but you can put as much in the bowl as it can, it can stand, it can hold. You know? so, so we had this cereal stacking contest. And he was eating his cereal that morning, and I said, just blurted it out. I said, Lyle. He was just a little guy. I said, Lyle. Do you know God loves you and I don't want you to die and go to hell? He just almost dropped his spoon. <laughs> he said, I said, Lyle, you have, to, you, you have to understand there's something more important in your life than Cheerios. God loves you, died for you. You've got to accept him as your love. I'm sure my mother was going, son, easy here. God has to be the one that saves us. But I wonder, can I ask you a question? Who are you bringing? Well, I made it in. I prayed the prayer. I'm a disciple, aren't I? The song says, must I go and empty-handed, arriving there in glory just by myself? No one that I can see there that I have somewhat influenced to come to Christ. I want you to come to Jesus in our soul-winning efforts at this church. I want you to know it's not about me. It's not about empty pews. It's not about the church. It's about Christ. Oh, you got to hear, preacher. Oh, you got to come to this event. No, I want you to meet Jesus. You, you, You've got to know, evangelist Jim Cook had a neighbor he was concerned about and often would knock on his door and say, listen, can, can I invite you to Bible study? Can I invite you to church? Can I invite you to know Christ? as your No. They would say, no, no, get out of here. I'm not interested in that. He'd come back. Listen, here's something I want you to read. Change your life. It's about Jesus. No, I don't want that. And he said this, I'll pray for you then. I'll pray for you. Yeah, okay, you can pray. Pray as much as you want to. 
He'd come back the next week or next month. Hey, listen, have you decided anything about Jesus? Have you come to Christ? No, not interested. Well, then let me pray for you. Hey, okay, you can pray for me. He kept praying and kept praying, kept inviting. Kept, he kept wanting. Finally, that neighbor said, you've been praying, haven't you? God's been working on me. I know I'm a sinner. I need Christ. And he came to Jesus. Here it is, a, a brother, a friend. You've got to come. And verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. What a glorious thing. It would be the height of selfishness and the height of irresponsibility to know the best news in the world and to hide it under a bushel. A city that is set in a hill cannot be hid. If you're a true disciple, friend, you are going to be bringing people to Christ. You are because you can't help it. It's the best news you've ever heard. And he's the best friend you've ever had. And you can't help it. The team will be sitting on the plane beside different folks, I'm sure, going to Africa. Off we get off the plane, we'll be meeting many people. Our goal as a true disciple is simply to bring folks to Christ. This year's adult mission trip uh, is going to a place where most of them speak English, and that's going to be a blessing. We can't use the, I can't speak their language. So pray for us that God will open doors for the gospel. Some of you know the statement of the Apostle Paul. It's the love of Christ that what? Constrains me. Nicky Cruz grew up in New York City. <clears throat> Some of you know his story. His parents resented him. His mother hated him. That's an understatement. His was a life of intense family dysfunction, drunkenness, drug abuse, parental abuse. Often, when only a, a young lad, his mother would try to hurt him by grabbing him by the throat and banging his head against the wall until his eyes, his ears, and his nose would be a bloody mess. When he was very young, Nicky Cruz ran away from home. He lived a life on the streets of New York City, raised as kind of a wild orphan child. Among drug lords, prostitutes, gang members, he grew up to be a, a gang leader. He did some time, of course, in and out of jail Finally, someone recommended a psychologist who met with him on occasion, and finally the psychologist looked at Nicky Cruz and said, I don't know if I've ever met anybody so cold and heartless inside. You're like a brick wall. You're like a stone. There's no hope for you, Nicky. You've got no conscience at all. I cannot help you. One day, a pastor by the name of Dave Wilkerson found him walking the streets. In fact, Mr. Wilkerson was told when he committed himself to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, I will go wherever you want me to go. And he was led by the Spirit to go to this rough part of New York City, and his friends told Mr. Wilkerson, if you go there, you might as well sign your epitaph, sign your tombstone, because that's what's going to happen to you. You won't last very long at all. They will kill you there. Well, 
he bumped into this gang leader on the street. Nikki Cruz didn't know him. And pretty soon, Nikki, after this exchange about the gospel, Nikki Cruz pulls out a switchblade. Some of you know the story. Pretends or at least attempts to stab him. And he says, stops, wait, wait, wait. Nikki, you can cut me into a thousand pieces. But every piece would cry out to you, Jesus loves you. He put the knife away, was stunned, stunned by that response. He would later say in his testimony, do you know that no one, no one in my whole life had ever articulated to me those words, I love you, not my parents, not my mom, not my dad, not my friends, so-called gang members, no one had told me about a God who loves me. He went on to receive Christ, become, of course, a tool of outreach and evangelism to his own gang members, and God used this man who was willing to be a true disciple, who would go so far as to bring someone to Christ. Oh, that all of us, one day when we cross the divide from life into eternal life, could take someone by the hand and say, yes, there he is, there she is. I had a part, small part in bringing them to Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.